0: Hello and welcome to Tape Heads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Tapeheads is the podcast where we select a VHS tape from either my collection or Lindsay's collection. We watch it and then we talk about it. So Lindsay it was your turn to pick out a movie for us and what did you pick?
1: I picked the classic Shanghai Noon except that it's not really a classic.
0: Well it's it's old it's it's almost 20 years old now which is kind of crazy to think about this is from 2000
1: it's one of those things that reminds me that i'm getting older it's I guess it's one of those things. that was it was a classic in our house, sort of like Chad and the Saint. We just kind of took for granted that everyone had seen it, and then I found out that you hadn't seen this.
0: Yeah, I was very aware of it though when it came out.
1: You had seen Rush Hour though, right?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, because Rush Hour came first, but I think we sort of preferred Shanghai Noon. Although, admittedly, I think we quoted Rush Hour more.
0: And you were, and you come from more of a Jackie Chan household.
1: Oh. Hell yeah. My dad was really kind of picky about what sorts of movies he wanted to watch. He was really into action movies, but he didn't, he made some exceptions for sci-fi movies. Like if it was a sci-fi movie with Schwarzenegger in it, he'd watch it. Essentially just an action movie with different dressing. Um, But he was obsessed with martial arts movies. So I grew up watching Jackie Chan and Jet Li movies like crazy. And some Bruce Lee, but mostly Jackie Chan. Two different Jenkin Master movies that he'd done. He did a ton of like this whole long series called Police Story.
0: Um, Rumble in the Bronx is a great one.
1: Yeah. And that's one that I made you watch because it was one of the tables at our wedding. Because our wedding had a movie theme.
0: Yeah, each table had a VHS tape designed by my cousin Nina that was spray painted silver mm-hmm. and had these special labels on them so you could sit at the diehard table well, we sat at the diehard table yeah
1: not just anyone could yeah that,
0: table. <laughs> that was a two-person table but rumble in the bronx was definitely one of them
1: and that was where my parents sat
0: mm-hmm. and some other movies that have been on the show there was a tremors table yes uh, of course and there was a lost boys table
1: but i think that's to kind of signify how significant jackie chan was in our household that his the table named for one of his movies was where my family sat.
0: and it seems like it took a while for his films to come to the u.s because didn't he start in the, like the late 70s and
1: yeah i mean he had a small part in um one of the original bruce lee films but uh so that was when he was really early in his career and then later got into being a star of his own films but He became popular before he started doing these kind of like pair ups with other American actors. But I think it's interesting because even though the films that he was bringing over from China, they would dub them and he would actually dub his own voice in English. Um, and those were doing so well that I guess they wanted to bring him over and start producing films in Hollywood. But it, the first really big one that he did was Rush Hour, and they paired him with Chris Tucker. And then later they did Shanghai Noon, where he was paired with Owen Wilson. I don't know if there was this idea that he couldn't stand alone in the U.S. in a Hollywood-produced movie. But, I mean, very much not the case. Like, he's definitely the star.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. I'd, I'd say... Well, it's been a long time since I've seen Rush Hour, but I think more of his character than of Chris Tucker's character in that. I remember reading around this time, so Rush Hour was 98, this is 2000, that he wasn't, I I don't know, I feel like the difference of Rush Hour was that he was less the driving force behind that, whereas Shanghai yeah. Noon was very much his brainchild and he had much more control over the fights.
1: Yeah, he and he had a really strong vision for the choreography because he'd had so many, I mean, decades of experience at that point. So he was able to, it seemed like he had a lot more creative license than Shanghai Noon. Many things that we learned from the featurette that appeared after the movie and was advertised before the movie.
0: Yes, this is the most recent film we've had on the podcast and you can tell that the vhs is going the way of the dodo in 2000 because they are advertising the hell out of dvds in these uh pre-movie trailers plus they are going out of their way to sort of simulate the dvd experience you got yeah. some featurettes after the movie kind of like we saw in runaway bride
1: the thing is and it was kind of sad when we were watching the featurette because they were showing the actual widescreen clips, so you could actually you could you could see the full picture edge to edge, which had been cut off for the version that we watched. That literally we had just watched before that featurette started, and you could see how much more theatrical, cin- cinematic it was. It had, it was a little bit more beautiful.
0: Yeah, I mean that's the whole Western thing in my mind is like the widescreen presentation, like I mean like high noon where this gets its name from. Uh-huh. I think of as like this really wide, wa- these like wide vistas and you know, it's it's kinda sad to see it crunched down. And there's one scene in particular at the end of the film, uh, where Lucy Liu I guess is wearing like a strapless dress, but the way that they cropped it, usually the Sides are cropped on a 4x3, but it really just made it look like she was just topless because it yeah. cut off right at her chest. And they never like pulled back to show what she was wearing. It was very odd. <laughs> um, but speaking of these trailers, we got two of them. Um... And you said that you hadn't heard of this first one.
1: No, I hadn't.
0: Yeah, it's Keeping the Faith, which is that super memorable uh, Edward Norton, Ben Stiller vehicle. <laughs>
1: well, not that memorable, <laughs> I didn't know it. That's
0: the joke. Oh. <laughs> uh, Edward, N- well, actually, Edward Norton directed this, and it's an odd choice for him. It's like, uh, because I think of Edward Norton as like this intense, you know, kind of methody actor. And this looks like kind of a screw. Actually, I did see this. I need to keep reminding myself that I saw it. I... But it's um it's so memorable <laughs> that
1: you can't even remember you saw it.
0: Keeping the faith. Ben Stiller is a rabbi. Uh, Edward Norton is a priest. I think he's a Catholic priest. He, I, yeah, he's got yeah. the banded collar. Yeah, and stuff. I can't even remember the trailer now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the vaporware of films. Uh, Jenna Elfman is their childhood friend who comes back. What I don't, and I'm sure it's addressed in the movie, but it's like doesn't didn't Edward Norton take a vow of celibacy?
1: Yeah, they sort of set up that there's going to be four people in the film, but then it partway through the trailer, Ben Stiller just loses interest or the the, uh, the brunette disappears from his life and it becomes all about jenna elfman but it's also not clear what jenna elfman's connection is to edward norton like is it his sister they almost look it's like they it's a childhood
0: friend they say oh early
1: on. well i clearly didn't pay attention
0: <laughs> we should have a new spinoff podcast where we just analyze the trailer to keeping the faith the second one is one that we've talked about on this podcast in the past, and we're kind of obsessed with. It's I don't, horrible. I
1: don't know how we haven't had an episode about this. Later. We
0: talk about this, I think, all the time, but Boys and Girls, another really memorable rom-com that I'm sure everyone talks about.
1: Hey, it is memorable because it's absurd.
0: Basically, this is a Freddie Prinze Jr. vehicle But it was kind of when, you know, beg my pardon, but I think Freddie Prince Jr. was kind of his popularity was starting to wane, but Jason Biggs is hot off that American pie. It's sort of the revival of the teen. Yeah. Comedy at this point, they feature his character heavily in the trailer, despite like almost kind of like frame it around him. Even yeah. though he's kind of just like this minor comic relief character, he's barely
1: in the movie. I feel like what they show in the trailer is about ninety percent of his scene.
0: Claire Forlane is the other person in this, and I remember how we discovered this movie was. It was when Jon Stewart was retiring from The Daily Show and they showed every single one that he'd ever done. They, like, streamed them. Yeah. And they kept having people on for this movie, including Heather Donahue from The Blair Witch Project, who is shown in the trailer, but again, like, has, like, ten lines in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: you were just like, I have to see this. It has a Blair Witch connection. Well,
0: and there's also a Cal connection because it's all... They actually were able to film at Berkeley, which The Graduate wasn't able to do.
1: Filmed at Berkeley, yet still have the students in the movie say that they just walk to the Golden Gate Bridge between classes.
0: Yeah. They just... An absurd understanding of (laughs) Bay Area geography. But um, yeah, in the future, we definitely need to talk about boys and girls because it's... I mean, I think we're just scratching the surface of how insane this movie is.
1: (laughs) We keep building it up, though. But when we (laughs) watched it, we were like, oh, my God, when is this going to be over? This is really boring and we don't care about these characters.
0: And I may be wrong about this, but I think that it was one of those movies that was sitting on the shelf for a few years. And then, as Jason Biggs became popular, and Heather Donahue had the Blair Witch Project, they're like, "Oh, we got to put this out."
1: I mean, that would we make... got to get
0: all these crazy kids on the Daily Show to talk about boys and girls.
1: I have no idea if that's true, but it would make sense because the movie's just not that good. Shanghai Noon is about a palace guard who's very devoted to his position and um, kind of to tradition and all of those sorts of vows and commitments that he's made and he sees that the the princess does not want to get married and so she, her english tutor helps her find a way out of china she thinks and so she escapes from this marriage uh, or unwanted soon-to-be marriage to the united states and jackie chan's character chong Wayne, uh which they make the joke that it sounds like John Wayne and that it's not a real cowboy name, he needs to come up with something else. There's a
0: lot of those winky winky anachronistic moments in the movie.
1: Yeah, this is a movie that's very modern, kind of making fun of the past.
0: I would say in some places to a fault, and we will get to that.
1: Yeah. They're essentially recruiting the elite, the most elite guards to go and rescue the princess because there's, it turns out it's a kidnapping scheme. Uh, and she's being held for ransom it wasn't out of the kindness of the tutor's heart and so these these guards are recruited to go to the u.s well jackie's not that good he's not the best most elite guard but he just really wants to go so his uncle helps him get on the trip
0: and he seems to i i picked this up on actually our second watch of the movie for this podcast where it seems to me that he has learned English by listening in on her tutoring sessions.
1: Yeah, he cleans the floor outside and kind of gets caught up in listening to her reading fairy tales aloud.
0: Yeah, but his English is pretty good for someone that's just been (laughs) eavesdropping on someone else's tutoring. Yeah,
1: his English is excellent. Jackie Chan, he gets his way over to the U.S., he's on this train with his uncle and the three elite guards on their way to pay the ransom and get the princess back. And who decides to rob the train but Owen Wilson and his gang of kind of inept, weird people
0: people including walton goggins who kind of blew up from the show justified and is now kind of a regular in quentin tarantino's movies
1: which one was that
0: he was kind of the main he was the new guy the wild card who like shoots Uh. the uncle and stuff and is he's still kind of playing that greasy (laughs) character and everything but this is like the most uh arch version of it
1: yeah Which you mentioned something really big that happens is Jackie Chan's uncle gets shot and he dies. And so now now Jackie has, not only does he need to save the princess, but he needs to avenge his uncle.
0: Which I feel like would be a bigger plot beat now. I feel like we as a culture are more like revenge minded because he doesn't really get his revenge in this movie. He gets over his uncle pretty quickly, I think.
1: Yeah, he does. Although I think part of it is that he realizes it's not Owen Wilson's fault. Owen Wilson is, and they show him, he's actually a really nice robber. He chats with people. He doesn't like to do threats. He doesn't really like to uh, overtly point his gun at people. He He, just takes their valuables and he gets out of there.
0: And he doesn't rob women. He just flirts with them.
1: Well, didn't he rob an old lady?
0: Well, yeah, they come to think of it he does take the yarn from those women.
1: Yeah, I think his standard is that he doesn't rob pretty women that he might want to sleep with. Later. Yeah,
0: he's a womanizer, definitely. Yeah, so he's not
1: the nicest guy in the world. He's still pretty shady. Owen Wilson and his boys there's a safe on the train that they know is going to be filled with money and so they place dynamite around it and they're kind of biding their time until that dynamite goes off and they can safely go into the car and get the money. Unfortunately, Jackie Chan is stuck in that car and sees the dynamite and is trying to put it out and he's freaking out.
0: Yeah, I feel like he could have just ripped the fuse out, but he decides to put it underneath the safe.
1: Yeah, cuz didn't we get dynamite from China? Yeah. I think he would have known a little bit more how to deal with the explosives, but maybe not. You know, he's a palace guard. Actually, no, he should have had some kind of explosive training.
0: Yeah. A lot of our our great choreography here. I mean, you're mostly here for these fight sequences. Like, it's an East meets West thing, but I feel like the West angle is just kind of the same old shootouts we've seen a million times, whereas Jackie Chan's fight sequences are so inventive, and he's like... Just using the environment to his advantage and just all of those classic things that you come to expect from Jackie Chan yeah, and any his stunt crew.
1: Any object around him can suddenly become a weapon.
0: Yeah, and all of this leads to a kind of dark scene where Owen Wilson kind of gets his gang taken away from him by Walton Goggins and they apparently bury him... Neck deep in the in the sand, creepshow style. Yeah, just for the buzzards to pick at. We
1: are skipping over a part where the safe blows out the train. There's a whole thing on uh, tree logs where they're running around and nearly dying. So Owen Wilson and Jackie Chan kind of have a fighting exchange. And it it is a kind of it's it's partially established that it's the bat the bad guy that killed the uncle was on Owen's gang, but Owen Wilson kind of defends himself that he wasn't a part of that. But Jackie Chan's still very focused that that was a member of his gang.
0: But the digging himself out with chopsticks thing is pretty crazy.
1: Yeah, so Owen Wilson's in the ground. Only his head is exposed. He's been having hallucinations about brothels. <laughs> as, he,
0: as he often does.
1: As, as you do. He sees Jackie Chan, and Jackie Chan's kind of like, yeah, your guy killed my uncle. Uh, I don't care about you. I'm not going to dig you out of here. He demands to get directions to Carson City, because that's where he knows the princess is being held. And Owen Wilson essentially says, hey, you know, I can take you there. I'll give you directions. Just help me get out. He tries to make a deal. Jackie Chan's not having it. So Owen Wilson says, look, I'll just tell you it's over the mountains. You just got to go over those mountains. So, you know, give me something. I get You got to give me something in return here. So Jackie Chan puts <laughs> chopsticks in his mouth and tells him to dig himself out.
0: Which apparently he does, which is pretty impressive. Which
1: doesn't make sense. That doesn't seem possible at all. But this movie is kind of flight of fancy. I mean, it's not Yeah, it's that, very heightened. Yeah, it's not really reality as we know it at mm-hmm. all.
0: And uh, so they sort of go their separate ways. Uh, you know, Jackie Chan's trying to find Carson City. And well, you
1: think Owen Wilson's been left for dead. Yeah, yeah. There's no way he's getting himself out of that.
0: Yeah, but uh, Jackie Chan's off to Carson City, or so he thinks, in the direction that Owen Wilson has pointed him. Yeah. And he uh, ends up saving, I think, a Sioux native boy from a rival tribe.
1: Yeah, from the Crow.
0: From the Crow. And this starts a really interesting part of the movie where it's not, i was not expecting it to go in this direction where he's married by like minute 20.
1: Yeah, and it's funny too because the the native americans that he's he's with, they respect him as a fighter cuz they saw that he, he was able to fight off all the crows and save this unknown boy to him, right? He was willing to risk himself to save this boy. Uh, so they, they kind of throw him a celebration, they help him get high, he has a great time, <laughs> they're kind of making fun of him, they're like, why is this guy in a dress? Uh, and he wakes up married the next day, and he's really out of it and kind of acting weird because he's freaked out that he's married, and he now has this woman to take around with him, and one of the Native American guys turns to the, uh, the, the father of the woman he's just married, And says, well, at least he's not white. (laughs) There's a lot of that kind of like strange racial humor in this movie, which is interesting.
0: Yeah, mistaking Jackie Chan for a Jew is really bizarre but funny joke.
1: Yeah, that one's by these kind of oaky white uh, people traveling by wagon to the west. I think she might even say he's Chinese and say why what is he doing there? Maybe she thinks he's uh Indian. I
0: think, I think yeah.
1: Okay, yeah. The wife thinks that Jackie Chan is, might be Indian cuz he's got this face paint on and he's wearing uh but he's wearing his Chinese uh clothing and then the husband's like no, no, no. Uh, I, no, wait. And then the husband corrects her and says that, no, he's Jewish. <laughs> Yeah, uh... Which is an ongoing <laughs> gag, because later he says shalom to the other palace guards <laughs> as he drops them off in town.
0: Yeah, and that was, uh, I was also wondering at this stage in the movie, I was, either, I was sort of imagining, one, that Lucy Liu would be more of a character in the movie. And also, it was, I was wondering, like, okay, so is he just gonna have this Native American wife following him around for the rest of the movie? Because I was imagining it would be sort of a buddy comedy... But what ends up happening is the weirdest kind of middle ground there where the wife is just kind of following him, kind of like stalking him almost. And whenever he's in mortal danger, she saves him and his idiot friend, Roy, multiple times. And we're
1: talking... Roy Owen Wilson's character—he's an idiot. Yeah, he's totally incompetent. He's really
0: bad at being an outlaw. He—he he
1: can't shoot a gun to save his life. He tries uh, to teach Jackie Chan how to shoot a gun, and then she has to step in and show uh, and uh, show them what how it's done. And it's interesting because she has pretty much no lines in the movie.
0: Well, I, I when we finally do hear her to, speak, yeah, she's definitely a non-actor, and I think this is her only credit.
1: Yeah, I think, I think she had done modeling before, but it's interesting because they don't really make that much use of her except for a little bit of comedic effect to add another pretty face.
0: And she's just kind of there to get them out of scrapes. Yeah. It's a little lazy, I think, in the writing.
1: very lazy.
0: It feels like they got the script note where it was like, well, we need more ladies in here. And they just did like the bare minimum to address that note.
1: And as much as my childhood self had affection for this movie, I have to look at it and realize that it's really not very good with the female characters at all. Like Lucy Liu is very much wasted in this movie. She does not have enough to do.
0: And this, in 2000, it was Charlie's Angels. Was like This is when really when she was blowing up.
1: Yeah, it's not like this is super early in her career where she was totally unknown. They cast her because she was famous. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I was just surprised how absent she is from most of the movie. Um, because she's basically the, the person orchestrating this kidnapping. I forget the character's name now. But he's been basically, he also ran away from the Forbidden City, but he kind of—he was a traitor. For, he did it for sort of nefarious reasons.
1: Yeah, he was a traitor, and then moved to the U.S. and got involved in the—I mean, effective almost slavery of Chinese folks in in the states building the railroad. And that's where this movie is kind of interesting because, for some of its faults, it's it's sort of knowing and kind of does those sorts of nods to the audience who kind of might know a little better. So they kind of acknowledge how Chinese people were mistreated in the U.S., but they. It's interesting because they have this sort of traitor Chinese overlord is the one that's overseeing all of the unfair and kind of terrible labor conditions so it's not that knowing
0: they, they, it's funny because there's a lot of villains because there's not only is there him but the, xander berkeley's character the lawman van mm-hmm. cleef um and well i guess is named after lee van cleef the actor who is in all the spaghetti westerns like mm-hmm. good, the bad and the ugly yeah and then there's the uh the walton goggins character and then I feel like there's even more bad guys that I'm forgetting. Oh, the Tudor. Like, there's a lot of different yeah. levels of bad guys that are kind of loosely connected or, or not connected at all. The
1: Tudor is a really minor one, though. He's mostly just the handoff of the princess.
0: Gets killed by an oyster shell, which I've never yeah. seen in a movie before. <laughs> Getting stabbed in the neck with one. That's when you really know that this main villain means business.
1: Yeah. And I guess the palace guards are sort of antagonists for part of it.
0: In a way, yeah. Yeah.
1: They don't want to respect Lucy Liu's character's wishes to not go back to China and do that marriage. They feel that they have to follow the imperial decree to uh, to bring her back. But at the end, they kind of, they end up waffling on that and going Jackie Chan's route.
0: Yeah, I see what you're saying about it being weird that the villain is Chinese, but I feel like he almost has to be in this plot because there needs to sort of be an inside man to know the princess and to know the inner workings but the to be tutor able to orchestrate it kind
1: of, yeah but the tutor could have been that sort of bridge do you know what i mean
0: well i mean i imagine that he hired the tutor yeah. as, specifically for that purpose and
1: i don't think it's necessarily odd that the villain is a chinese man i think it's interesting that they have they that they give that historical view of the poor conditions for laborers on the railroad but that they make the the person that's in charge of and in, in, in causing those conditions a Chinese man. Do you know what I mean? Yeah,
0: no, that, that definitely I think, makes sense.
1: I think that's kind of a uh, sort of cleaning up a little bit. The more likely historical conditions where it was probably a partnership of white Americans in that too, contributing
0: to those conditions. And it's interesting that at that camp, you don't really see any white people there.
1: No, I think that's where it's like a whitewashing, like a washing away of white involvement in that. <laughs> yeah. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, no, I think so. And I think that would just be such a bummer to see in this kind of like lighthearted buddy comedy.
1: And yet you still see the awful conditions, though.
0: Yeah, definitely. If like They
1: acknowledge it to that extent.
0: And Lucy Liu's character has a pretty great line at one point when... When Jackie Chan is trying to bring her back and she's basically like, I can do more for these people here than I, I could there, which is an interesting way to look at it. Because yeah. back in the Forbidden City, she was really just the subject of all this pomp and circumstance.
1: Mm-hmm. Whereas they have a character, you know, who is expressing that maybe she can be, be an actively involved kind of supporter of them so that the conditions aren't so bad
0: now that chan and roy are out of their uh respective scrapes they 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 run into each other again at a bar uh or saloon i should say which leads to yet another really intricate and amazing uh fight scene it's it's kind of like a classic barroom brawl but with like a jackie chan touch to it Mm -hmm. uh this is one of my favorite fight sequences of the film and they use anachronistic music here and they've got people like saying kimasabi and all this stuff that they would never say but those things don't really bother me i think because the sequence is so like this is just such an incredible sequence and there's so many moving parts to it like you've got owen wilson who's got the uh that like gadget up his sleeve that he's been using to cheat at cards and it like malfunctions and there's a scene where there's just a circle of people taking turns hitting each other in the face that's almost like it's almost like a miyazaki movie or something (laughs) the way that it's just so like cartoonish um and and well choreographed and uh is this the point where Owen Wilson makes a James Brown reference? No, that's later. When he said, when he references the payback, he says, I don't know karate, but I know Karazi.
1: Oh, yeah, that's a little yeah. later.
0: Um, But that barroom fight scene is pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, you were so excited when he made that James Brown reference.
0: Well, the payback is, has a special place in my heart. We used to, uh, when I say we, uh, a friend of the show, Philip Laird, uh, we used to put it on jukeboxes in bars. Well, we still do. But we used to do it a lot because it's on almost every jukebox in America on the James Brown Best of CD.
1: And it's like seven minutes. It's long. just
0: seven or eight minutes of James Brown just, just you know, talking shit and uh, and just making sounds and uh and we used to when we were real jerks, we'd put it on a couple times in a row. I remember one night the barroom staff was like dismantling the jukebox to try and turn off the payback. Uh, we played that at our wedding. The payback. We did. Yeah, we did. that was a big uh, the, dance break.
1: The DJ took pictures of the crowd because he couldn't believe that people were dancing to it for the full time.
0: Yeah, that was that was exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> so after this brawl, they end up in jail and it kind of gives them a little time to bond Owen Wilson's interest is piqued when he hears about this ransom, because initially he's just thinking about getting that gold for himself, and it leads to this really bizarre sequence where Jackie Chan pees on, like, part of his clothing to yeah. wet it, and as a means of, like, bending the bars.
1: Yeah, and then Owen Wilson has that classic line, You told me wet shirt don't break, not piss shirt bend bar. <laughs> Which is essentially Jackie Chan has figured out, or his character has figured out, that if you wet a shirt, it becomes really strong. And so it won't tear if you use it and you kind of, you have a, uh, he uses a stick as sort of a torque to be able to twist the shirt up enough that it bends two bars together.
0: But as it turns out, they didn't really need to do any of that because... uh, Jackie.
1: Chan's wife. His
0: Deus Ex Machina Uh Native American wife saves them again.
1: His divisive a wife that's not really a character.
0: This leads to, in my opinion, the most heinous part of the film. Which for me knocks it down a whole letter grade. So Kid Rock song Cowboy is used in a montage of Owen Wilson teaching Jackie Chan to be a cowboy. Something about the presence of Kid Rock on a movie soundtrack, especially a Western, I think not only does it just like date it really badly in like not a fun way, but it just kind of like gives it this kind of this kind of stink, you know?
1: And it's interesting because the modern music they had before, there wasn't a really strong vocal track. And this is just all about that Kid Rock vocal track.
0: I wonder whose decision that was. If it was Tom Day, the director, who went on to do, like, Failure to Launch and Marmaduke, that sort of seems like something he would do. That's
1: so mean. <laughs> well, someone <laughs> has
0: to take the blame for this. It wasn't Jackie Chan.
1: No. Although, I don't know, maybe he's a huge Kid Rock fan and we just never knew.
0: I don't think so.
1: But it's was was there no Kid Rock on Wild Wild West?
0: I mean, Wild Wild West is its own beast.
1: Yeah, I guess that's also really dated, and no one watches that anymore. So, well,
0: I think I mean that was one that was hated upon release from like day one. Or was that? A- or is that one that you liked in your family? No. Okay.
1: We went to theaters, and we were like, "What is this?"
0: I I know that friend of the show, Paul Fisher, has uh, mentioned that he might bring that on the show, so maybe we'll hear a different opinion about Wild Wild West. I
1: liked your revision for a second when you realized that maybe you'd stepped in it, because (sighs) then you're like, oh, is that. Wait, unless that's one that you liked in your family.
0: Well, like, I like a lot of movies that, you know, the mainstream media thinks are bad, so I, I don't want to tell you that Wild Wild West is not good. But yeah, you know, that was just the year before this. So Westerns were kind of made a brief comeback. But yeah, Kid Rock. Man, if they had just removed this song. Like, it for me, that kind of... I don't know. My enjoyment of... I was taken out of the movie in a way yeah. that I didn't like. And this is also part of something that was happening around the same time. Kind of the Baz Luhrmann thing where... Like, Moulin Rouge is the big one, but also A Knight's Tale. Those are both yeah. 2001, the next year, where... You know, you're hearing a lot of this modern music in a period piece. And I think those movies get away with it because it's so like baked into the pie. Like it's used very frequently, especially in the case of Moulin Rouge. Yeah. But um, this, it only happens a couple times. I almost feel like you need to go all or nothing. Like you need to be, the whole movie needs to be modern music or, you know, you don't do it at all.
1: Yeah, it's interesting cuz they had so much modern humor. They have all these different jokes like the kimasabi joke you mentioned or they've got the sci- they have a joke where Owen Wilson says, "You know, your people say sayonara." And, and it's for the audience cuz we know that that's not true, but it's also probably not a word that his character would have known at that time. Mm-hmm.
0: It suggests that they've all been watching these TV shows and movies that haven't been made yet.
1: Yeah, exactly. But, um, you know, the best part of the scene is that we're seeing how incompetent Owen Wilson is. And we have to wonder how the heck is he a bandit? Because he can't shoot anything. He's not that smooth on the
0: horse. And I guess Owen Wilson himself is sort of an anachronism with like his surfer hair and his, just his whole vibe. But that is different than playing a Kid Rock song on a soundtrack. <laughs> like, like Owen Wilson is just like this great flavor to add to anything. But Kid Rock is just like the opposite of that. It's like, it's not like this spice. It's like poison. That's so extreme. <laughs> It really did take me out of the movie. And I think that there's a reprise of it in the end credits. I may be mistaken about that. They might have just used similar sounding music. And I remember that for a while they were just doing the instrumental part of that during that montage of Cowboy. And that was okay. That still wasn't okay. Like, I was still (laughs) taken out of it. But I was just thinking to myself, like, thank God they don't have, like, the lyrics in it. But instead we get, like, well, he's riding a horse. It's like Kid Rocks on the soundtrack going, I can smell a pig from a mile away. And it's just like, oh, my. This, you're just dating yourself instantly. <laughs> Who did this?
1: I mean, there are other things dating this movie.
0: That's the main thing. Okay. I mean, there's definitely, I mean, I agree with you. Like, certain things, just like the way this movie looks is very of, the, of that time. Like, it's mm-hmm. a very 2000s looking movie. And there's even a moment when... Jumping ahead a little bit after they're captured by the corrupt lawman, Xander Berkeley's character, where they're tied up uh, like they're about to get hung. There's this moment where a photographer takes a picture and it freeze frames just in kind of black and white for a second. And I thought to myself, like, that's But it's like so such a blink and you miss it thing And it's kind of done only for style. And I was thinking, like, that's the kind of, like, flashy sort of thing that was very common at this time.
1: I didn't even notice that happen.
0: Yeah, it's almost like a subliminal moment. And it's it's very, like, this kind of, like, I think of it as, like, the Any Given Sunday or, like, the kind of, like, Oliver Stoney thing that was kind of going on in a lot of movies at this time. Where just, like, little snippets of things kind of thrown at you. And just like I think just the way it looks and feels is very of that time. But that stuff doesn't bother me as much as the that one particular music choice. I guess they were trying to connect with the cool kids.
1: Well, and they probably wanted to sell the soundtrack. CDs were still big.
0: Yeah. I don't know. It's it's I mean it's a pretty straightforward plot. I mean,
1: there's a and there's actually, you know, you say it's like a simple plot, which it is, but there's actually a lot that happens. They Do all their training. They have their showdowns. They spend some time at a brothel, but they're building their bromance. So instead of being into the ladies, they're playing a drinking game that Jackie Chan teaches Owen Wilson in bathtubs next to each other. So it's just them naked, hanging out, drinking.
0: Covered with, like, foam. I feel like that's kind of one of the iconic scenes of that movie, is the drinking game.
1: Yeah, and they have this kind of interesting scene where... Afterwards, they're with their, you know, Owen Wilson is getting a massage from one of the ladies of the brothel. And she kind of makes this sort of insinuating comment about him hanging out with a Chinese man. And Owen Wilson sort of backtracks. You can see that he's a little insecure about it. And and there's this sort of like moment of racism of like not wanting to affiliate himself with this foreign man, as if Jackie Chan isn't significant enough to him to 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 matter for them to have a friendship, whereas Jackie Chan felt like they were developing a friendship. And I think to Owen Wilson, they were too. But it was an, it for a kind of superficial film, that was an interesting moment of depth where they're kind of playing with this challenging idea of that kind of insecurity.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it struck me that we were just kind of in the part of the movie where something like that needed to happen. There needed mm-hmm. to be some sort of misunderstanding or something needed to happen to like tear them apart temporarily so they could realize that they need each other. Like it's a very like formulaic thing, but to decide to make it about race, I thought was a pretty like bold and interesting choice for like this lighthearted buddy comedy. Yeah,
1: it makes it a little bit more interesting cuz you can see that Owen Wilson has kind of guilt as he's saying it, but he feels obliged to say it because of these absurd societal mm-hmm. values.
0: Because of his racist prostitute. Yeah, because a of a his massage. racist prostitute.
1: <laughs> you know, he's got to keep his standards in line. Yeah, I got
0: got to keep up appearances in front of those racist prostitutes. Uh, so I don't know. Am I skipping anything important if I just jump straight to the the final showdown and the no. I mean, there, I mean, there's Not some. Really. I mean, there's like a lot of great Jackie Chan fights. You know, again, like there is the, there's like the famous sequence where he's got the horseshoe on the rope, and he's able to use like a lot of kind of, you know, Western uh, accoutrement in yeah, his usual technique.
1: East meets West in his technique.
0: Um, but it all comes down to this showdown. Oh, it's revealed that Xander Berkeley's uh, character, the Van Cleef, the the lawman, is actually in cahoots with the main villain, which is a little like I I'll little, make that jump, but it's a
1: little bit of a stretch
0: because I mean. I mean, I don't, I don't. I mean, it's easy to believe that there could be like this sadistic lawman that's corrupt yeah. in the old west and stuff, but for him to also be connected to like this kind of like railroad tycoon from China, like it's a little I don't know. hard to believe. I don't
1: know if we're supposed to make the leap that you know there just weren't a lot of people around and so everybody knew everybody else kind of thing.
0: Jackie Chan is able to catch up with Lucy Liu. There, there's that kind of, um... It's easier just to call them by their actor names. But <laughs> John meets, finds Princess Pepe, uh, And there's this interesting scene where we kind of... I mean, we... The impetus of all of this was that she didn't want to be in the Forbidden City in the first place. Because she's yeah. going to be in that arranged marriage and everything. And she kind of reiterates that. Um... And so I think that kind of creates an interesting dynamic in this final showdown between the three guardsmen and our buddies, uh, Owen and Jackie, mm-hmm. and the legion of bad guys that we've collected over the course of the movie. Just because everyone kind of has different motives, and, and but at the center of it, it's really just this princess who doesn't want to go back to China and really has no interest in returning. Mm-hmm. And because... Jackie Chan's ponytail was cut. He can't go back.
1: Yeah. Or his
0: braid, excuse me.
1: Yeah, his braid, not his ponytail. Um, it, It essentially kind of symbolizes his breaking with those vows he's taken, right? And that he's not going to go back to that life and to that person that he was before. He's developed this entirely new self as he's moved on in the West.
0: So, huge, epic, crazy choreographed fight scene. For me, I feel like at this point in the movie, I'm starting to hit a little exhaustion with the fight scenes. Like, they've gone to great pains to make them all different, but I kind of feel like that stuff had peaked in the barroom brawl. Like, I feel like we'd seen a lot of these beats already. Yeah, I think... And it's still very interesting, but I am less... I feel like I'm just I've just seen so much of this already that I'm not as absorbed in this climactic battle.
1: Yeah, I think it could have been shorter toward the end there, but I guess they wanted to just continue that exciting build. But for me, I'm, I'm getting ready for it to be over and to cl- to kind of finish up.
0: Uh Owen Wilson shoots and kills Sander Berkeley by uh it's kind of like a pulp fictiony thing where it's he. He says it's a miracle because this like crack shot lawman shot at him a million times but missed, and he, who can't hit the side of a barn door or whatever the saying is, yeah. uh he's a terrible shot, but he's able to like hit him directly in the heart with one shot. So he takes away from that that he's invincible, uh, which is insane. a notion that he's disabused of very quickly. Yeah. but um I thought that was kind of interesting, but. Yeah, it's, I think that this is kind of an anticlimactic sort of film because, I mean, his uh, once again, the Native Americans swoop in to save the day and save them from Owen Wilson's old gang. And the ending that I was really hoping we would get is that Jackie Chan ends up with his wife who's been saving his life over and over and over again yeah and kind of
1: waiting on the side and making sure everything's fine
0: and like maybe i would have been okay with owen wilson and lucy Liu, like maybe Mm, but i don't know i don't really
1: want him to be with anybody but
0: i think the worst case scenario is what we get which is jackie chan who's old enough to be lucy Liu's father
1: I, he's not
0: that he's old. He's pretty old here, and she's pretty young.
1: Yeah, she's super young. We could call him an uncle.
0: Okay, an uncle. But he there's, there's at least a 20-year age gap, don't you yeah. think?
1: Yeah, I think there's definitely a big age gap.
0: Um, he ends up with her. I guess, I don't know, I'd like to have seen that conversation with his Indian bride, where he is basically like, hey, so thanks for saving my life. Four or five times. Um, I'm gonna dump you and marry this princess, but you can have my idiot friend.
1: (laughs) Yeah, my idiot inept friend who can't do anything and is pretty racist.
0: And goes to brothels all the time. He's not gonna be a faithful husband. No. And yeah, he somehow gets a job as a lawman. I don't know how he man they both do. I don't know which is more unlikely between the two of them: the Shanghai kid getting a job or Roy slash Wyatt Earp, as we learn. Yeah,
1: the ending really isn't good.
0: Again, it feels like they probably had something simpler, and the studio notes were just kind of like, you know, heighten it, make it crazier, like, like, and they, it just feels like a hat on a hat on a hat, and it just kind of like. I'm, I I'm find it really creepy that Jackie Chan ends up with Lucy Liu.
1: Yeah, and again, why in the hell would the Native American woman who's super capable, smart, beautiful, can do everything, why would she want to spend her time taking care of Owen Wilson's dumbass?
0: And it feels tacked on. Like, that scene almost feels like a reshoot or something. That's the scene where it's cropped really weirdly, and it just yeah. seems like Lucy Liu is standing there naked at a parade.
1: Yeah, it's kind of weird because it seems like they wrote it a certain way and then changed their minds at the end.
0: Yeah, it's unsatisfying in yeah. a word. But overall, the movie is pretty fun. It reminds me of, did you ever watch the TV show Kung Fu when you were a kid? You know, David I did Carradine? It reminds me of that. I mean, this is, like, I guess less problematic because it's an actual Asian actor. Uh,
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I was going to say, but it's still problematic in different ways.
0: But uh, I feel like Kung Fu has has more of a spiritual side to it, whereas this is sort of just a pure, dumb, fun adventure movie. And that's fine. Like, it's a very old-fashioned movie to a point with some anachronistic touches thrown in to make it hip for the 2000s crowd.
1: It's definitely better than Shanghai Nights.
0: Oh, that's right. There's a sequel which I haven't seen but you have.
1: Yeah, you don't need to see it.
0: What about it is bad? I know that they go to London and that's all I really know. It's just
1: the story doesn't really make sense. It's not as much fun. I barely remember it because we went to see it in theaters and I remember we all left feeling disappointed.
0: Yeah, I remember that summer when it came out, because it was like the summer of sequels, and a lot of them were disappointing. It was 2003, and it was like, Matrix Reloaded, disappointing. Like, Bad Boys 2, disappointing. Well, I I guess a lot of people like that movie, but... I enjoyed uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was fine for the first hour and a half. The second hour and a half, not so much.
1: Yeah, it was too long. It was very long. It was one of those movies that could have been a lot shorter.
0: Um, are, you, are we going to go see Bad Boys for Life when it comes out in January?
1: I mean, we might.
0: Okay. Which is a title they really should have saved for the fourth movie and given it the number four instead of F-O-R.
1: Maybe they didn't know they were going to actually make a fourth movie, so they just used it now.
0: Yeah, that's true. You can't count on tomorrow. That's, that's true for all of us, even Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. Okay, well, now we're in the part of the show where we say buy it, rent it, or tape over it. How do you feel, Lindsay? This is a childhood staple for you. Does it hold up?
1: I think it's fun. If you like these kinds of movies, it's really it, it can be really fun to watch. Um, I think I still have some of my childhood affection for it. And just for Jackie Chan in general. And I mean, this is the movie that kind of introduced me to Owen Wilson too. And he he is very charming in this, even if his character is kind of a terrible person. <laughs> um, so this is a rent it for me. I don't think it's a must see. But again, if it, it, if it fits the kinds of things that you enjoy seeing, you want to see something that's pretty light, doesn't make you think too much. It's just filled with kind of cool action sequences. And it can be pretty fun
0: yeah i agree it's for me it's a rented it's it's by no means jackie chan's best movie by no means owen wilson or lucy Liu's finest hour but it's you know there aren't a lot of westerns post you know 90s and uh this is a pretty fun it's like it's a good diversion like a good rainy day movie it's very i kind of wish it it there's a little more to it i i do get a little weary with the fight scenes and the inclusion of kid rock is is (laughs) awful but
1: i wish the ending were better and i wish that they had done more with the female characters i think that could have um really pumped it up a bit more for me
0: agreed so next episode we are in the spooky season i can't believe it's october already and I have a little bit of an announcement to make for this program. Um, next year, 2020, I am shooting, I am, well, I'm directing and writing. Yeah, a friend of the show, Gavin, is shooting it. Um, I'm directing a new feature film. It is a vampire movie set at Christmas time called Red Snow. You can learn more about that at redsnowmovie.com. You can sign up for a little mailing list there. And in honor of this movie, uh well I can't speak for you but I am picking a vampire movie for the next episode. Oh
1: I'm picking a vampire movie. Okay too. good
0: we'll have two vampire movies. It's
1: gonna be Vampire October.
0: Yes I'm very excited about this project I'm very excited to be watching some kind of revisiting some of the vampire movies that I love and haven't seen in a long time. Um, we're going to be doing this crowdfunding campaign for the movie in October so I'll give you more details about that in the next episode. But Next episode, we are doing Interview with the Vampire, starring Tom Cruise as Lestat and Brad Pitt as Louis. I mean, Brad Pitt should really get top billing, but Tom Cruise, of course, does. Um, I actually just read the Anne Rice novel in preparation for this episode, so I'm really excited to kind of, you know, we could, without spoiling the book, we could go a little bit into the differences between both, but I love this movie, and I'm excited to talk about it.
1: I'm trying to remember. I think I saw that for the first time in 2009. Oh, really? Yeah. It was just
0: one you discovered in college?
1: Uh, it was my mom that had me watch it. Uh, she had gotten it on DVD and said it was great, and then I needed to see it, and we watched it with my brother.
0: Hmm. There's. I already feel myself wanting to talk about Interview with the Vampire, but I should stop. I should save it. Well, and you read the book. Yeah. This is going to be a good episode. You do not want to miss it. Um, we take pride in our Halloween episodes here at Tapeheads, and this is doubly exciting because it ties into a movie that I'm making. So be sure to check that out. I'd like to thank Will Price for use of his song "Mandatory Groove." You can hear more of Will's music at SoundCloud.com/slashGargantulon.
1: Uh, You can learn more about us and our other episodes at tapeheadspodcast.com. You can also contact us at tapeheadspodcast at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear your thoughts. Please rate and review on iTunes.
0: That's it for Tapeheads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Oh, and here's our cat. We got the cat and the bird on this episode. Uh, Until next time.